This is graduation season around the country. High schools, colleges, kindergartens, fifth graders are all graduating, moving on to the next thing. That's an exciting time of life. And in each of those ceremonies, at some point, somebody gives the commencement speech. Now, I, I sat through several commencement speeches of uh, my own graduations, and, and I, I have to confess, I, I didn't always listen as closely as I should have, but the part that I did listen to were the list. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. When, when, they, when they get through all the things that they've said, and then they, in summary, let me give you these top ten ways to succeed, or, or these five suggestions for life. And, and all of a sudden, I would kind of perk up and, and, and listen, because that apparently was the most important thing that we needed to know. As Paul comes to the close of his letter that we call 1 Corinthians, throughout this letter he's been detailing several very important things for the Corinthian believers to remember. And now here in the 16th chapter, he boils that down to five things. To build a healthy, strong church. Let's take a look at these five things this morning here in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We'll start with verse 13. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. We're going to take a look this morning at five steps to a healthy church. Paul provides five different commands in these two verses. The first four warn against attacks that we might face as we seek to live out our faith. The fifth reminds us of the calling we have towards one another. In fact, it is the overarching principle in this guide to a life of faith. Let's take a look at the first four be on your guard. It's what your mom told you as you went out the door to school. It's what your teacher told you as you were in the middle of class. It's what your coach told you while you were standing out in left field. Hey, wake up! <laughs> you can't catch the bus. You, you can't pass the test. You can't field the fly ball if you're asleep. Well, Paul's words are, are maybe a little even stronger than that. He says, be on your guard. Uh, the words that he uses describes a determined wakefulness. It presupposes that there's something out there to watch for. And like a soldier on watch, the believer is to be ready for attack. Realizing the reason that Peter warned us about in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, there the Bible says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Folks, Satan is real. Temptation is real. We are not immune so be on your guard. This week, you're going to face those questions. 
Those times when you come to a fork in the road and you have to decide, do I want to go my way or do I want to go God's way? Be ready. Be on your guard because Satan is going to try to tell you, hey, your way's a lot better. Your way's a lot easier. Be on your guard. Be ready to say, no, I know what happens when I go my way. I'm going to go God's way. Be on your guard. Second, stand firm in the faith. This next command gives some important information what to do and where to do it. We are to stand firm. That's what we're supposed to do. And that goes well with the first command. To be on our guard. Uh, Both of those, to be on our guard and to stand firm, they they bring to mind a good question. How are we supposed to do that? How do we be ready? How, how, How do we stand firm? Well, Paul gives the key. It's where we stand. We stand firm in the faith. We stand firm because we know the truth we have in Christ. We stand firm because we have God's Word. We stand firm because we know the King of kings and Lord of lords. We stand firm because we are grounded in our faith in Christ. If you walk out onto a frozen pond, that would be a little difficult to do in the middle of May, but let's put ourselves back a few months. And and if you walked out on a frozen pond, my guess is that you would be very careful with each step. First of all, you wouldn't want to slip and fall because the ice is obviously slippery and you're not going to fall down. But, But secondly, you're going to be checking to make sure that the ice is thick enough to hold you up. That you're not going to fall through into the cold water below. That's what you would do if you were walking out onto an icy pond. I'm guessing that this this morning when you, you walked into the auditorium, you didn't think of either one of those things. You weren't checking each step to make sure that the carpet wasn't slick so that you wouldn't fall down. And and as you were standing there in your pew uh, getting ready to sing, you, you probably weren't trying to make sure that the concrete was thick enough to hold you. Here's the reality. We can stand firm in our faith as long as we remember what to do and where to do it. If you try to stand in your own strength, in your own wisdom, then you're on some thin ice. And that ice is starting to crack. So instead, stand firm in your faith in Christ. We're on a solid rock. It makes a big difference in how we live our life. Stand firm in the faith. Third, Be men of courage. Paul's words literally mean, quit you like men. Now, in its original language, in in the New Testament world, that was an encouragement to be courageous. Unfortunately, sometimes we take that literally and just quit. The, The command takes the stand firm of the second command. 
and then goes one step goes one step further. The calling here is not only to stand in your faith, but to be mature in your faith. To be men. The Corinthians had a problem with that. In much of his letter, Paul addresses their spiritual immaturity. That's a, a, much of what the letter of 1 Corinthians is about. And Paul tells them in, in simple terms, hey, grow up. This command calls for the believers not only to grow up, but to be strong. In the face of opposition, they were to hold fast to what they knew in Christ. Following Christ is not weakness. It's strength. Which leads to the fourth commandment, to be strong. Paul elaborates on this command in his word to the Ephesian church that we find in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Our strength is not in our intellect. It's not in our physical prowess. It's not in our wealth. It's not in how many people we have under our authority. Those are all things that the world defines as signs of strength. But that's not what God defines as a sign of strength. As believers, our strength is in God, and He has plenty to spare. His strength is how we are to be on our guard. His strength is how we can stand firm. His strength is where we can find courage. His strength is what allows us to be strong, and He has strength to spare. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Gideon. I like Gideon because he reminds me of me. He is the least likely person there could have possibly been in the nation of Israel to lead them in battle. We meet him in Scripture hiding in a hole trying to thresh his wheat as quietly and as inconspicuously as possible because he's afraid that the Midianites are going to come and steal it. God tells this fellow who's hiding in a hole that he's going to save the nation of Israel. And Gideon's response is classic. It's in Judges chapter 6. But Lord Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Gideon says, my ancestors, the clan of Manasseh, they're known for being weak, and I'm the weakest one of all of them. So what does God tell him in the next verse? And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. And then Gideon does. Through this least likely general, God delivers the nation. I love that story. Because it reminds me of something amazing. What God can do through you. What have you told God? No, God, I can't do that. (laughs) Now, before you give up, be on your guard. 
Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage and be strong. Because in Christ, you can do exactly what God has called you to do. Before you say, no God, I I can't. Think of what God can. You can be strong. Especially in this final suggestion that Paul gives in verse 14. Do everything in love. The first four of the five commandments that Paul gives, they, they provide a warning that we as believers are going to face opposition, strong opposition. But also these four suggestions point the way on how to overcome it. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. And now Paul turns to a fifth commandment, one that guides the other four. And to worldly ears, this fifth commandment It almost sounds weak, but folks, it's anything but that. Paul writes, do everything in love. That should be the governing factor through which every action we take should flow. Every decision we make should be sifted through this perspective. Everything we do should be done in the love of Christ. Now notice, it's not just with the love of Christ. God's love is not something that we just add to our actions like salt and pepper on a meal. It's not an afterthought, like after we've dressed somebody down for something we didn't like. It makes it all okay if we say, and I love you in the Lord. (laughs) No, uh, Christ's love is much more than that. Christ's love should be in everything we do. Everything we do is to be in Christ's love. The love of Christ should be the start, the reason why we do what we do. It should be the middle. It should be the way that we do everything that we do. And it should be the end. It should be the way we conclude everything that we do. Everything in our life should be immersed in the love of Christ, in that agape love, that God-centered love. Everything. My mom and dad had a standard response whenever I did something goofy in life, which was often when I was growing up. I I would provide some long-winded tale of teenage logic for why I had done what I had done. And, And their response would always be, but you didn't ask us first. And I discovered why they always said that. If I had run some of those harebrained schemes through my parents first, it really would have saved me a lot of grief along the way. I learned that if I was going to do something that was not pre-approved by a parent, it, it was a much better idea to run it through them first 
Because everything in my life eventually ran through my mom and dad. Now, the Bible tells us the same reality in our relationship with God. Whatever it is that you are considering in life, run it through the love of Christ first. Now, that obviously will eliminate anything that is blatantly sinful, But it also will help us to avoid some of those gray areas. Because the ultimate question will always be, does this fit the love of Christ? And if it doesn't, throw it out. What is there in your life that just doesn't really measure up to the love of Christ? Before you make that biting remark to your spouse, before you see that ministry need and turn away and say, no, I can't do that. Before you do anything, remember this simple rule. Do everything In the love of Christ. Heavenly Father, help us to put our life in this perspective. Because, God, we do face a lot of opposition. There's no question about that. And we need to be on our guard. We need to stand firm in our faith. We need to recognize the reality of the opposition that is there, and be ready for it. And God, in everything that we do, we should do it in the love of Christ. Heavenly Father, that would transform the way that we live if we would just do that. If before we make a decision, if before we make a statement, if before... We take a step forward. We're always asking ourselves, I want to do this in the love of Christ. Does this fit that? So God, help us. Help us to view our life through that prism that everything that we do might be done in your love. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.